Very good. My name is Tim. I'm an alcoholic consistent member of Alanon. Thank you, Jason. You might want to make a couple more people co-hosts, um, maybe Angelo and a couple of other people, um, to deal with Zoom bombs if, if there are any. Um, so so welcome to this. Um I, I'm assuming that most, if not all, the people here are, are familiar to some extent with the steps. Uh, however, it's wise to position step 11 in the sequence so we understand why it's even there. Uh, this, each step should not be seen in isolation. So the bigger context is that I can't be trusted with the running of my own life. I can't be trusted around alcohol, around drugs, around all sorts of other behaviours. Uh, and to be uh, to be in God's care. Actually, can I just ask, are people able to hear me sufficiently clearly? Okay, I'm getting lots of thumbs up. One of the people in the chat has said they can't hear. That may be your audio. Uh, back to the topic. Uh, I can't be trusted uh, to be safe, to operate safely in the world. I must, I must be in the care of a power greater than myself or I'm going to be in the care of a different power greater than myself, namely my ego. Uh, something is going to be guiding me. If it's not God, it's something far worse. Step 11 represents the chief means by which I communicate with that, with that power. Uh, step 11 is about prayer and meditation. Fine. It's fairly straightforward, apparently. Uh, prayer has largely the same meaning now as it did in the 1930s. Meditation, not at all. And I was at an event uh, recently where someone talked very well about meditation. So what they were talking about was... I think Buddhist derived transcendental meditation about which I, I, I know a little, but I'm almost entirely. And it is meditation, but it's not AA meditation. Uh, to understand step 11 and what meditation means there, I need to cast my gaze back to the 1930s and look at what uh, the word meant. Just because meditation today elicits images of Southeast Asia and candles and cushions and all sorts of things, chiefly Buddhism, Zen Buddhism in particular. Uh, if, you have, if you say what, in your mind, bring up a picture of someone meditating. Are they in a pose? Are their eyes closed? Uh, In the 1930s, meditation simply meant concentrated, directed thought. There was no sense that it was a Buddhist practice, uh, certainly not in Akron, Ohio, uh, referred to in the big book as one of the Western states. I think we'd call it one of the Midwestern states. Now, there's nothing wrong with transcendental meditation and Buddhism and Zen Buddhism in particular and so on, but they're not AA. There's something else. Uh, and this 
error in my experience is perpetuated throughout AA. I, I've been to lots of, I, I rather avoid uh, AA meetings which focus on steps three, seven, and 11, partly because I, I, one tends to be exposed to other people's concept of God, which can be very disagreeable at times. And secondly, because uh, when they practice meditation in meetings, very often people are given instructions which are straight out of a religious playbook. And AA is not a religious organization. Uh, just because something comes from the, the religion of Buddhism does not mean it's any less religious than if you were introducing the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola into an AA or, or the catechism, or, or something from the Church of England. It's just as religious. It's just as much of an outside question. Uh, now, fortunately, we're not operating entirely uh, in the dark here. Uh, we have the big book to go on, and we also have the 12 and 12. I'm not going to talk about the 12 and 12 because it's not a, a, a book I use habitually in my Step 11. I, I find the Step 11 in the big book uh, adequate and I found it adequate for 30 years I'm sober since 24th of July 1993 uh, for those of you who are interested in dates and statistics so let's get in there uh, marvelous marvelously the step 11 in the big book is only two pages long so we've got time to read the whole thing and look at all of it so we'll cover all of it uh, so reading from the book step 11 suggests prayer and meditation so far, so good. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. Uh, it works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. What we conclude from this, what I conclude from this, is what follows represents the author's definite and valuable suggestions about what? About prayer and meditation. So we take what follows to be their understanding of what prayer and meditation is. We don't need to make it up. They're literally going to tell us. And whatever preconceptions we have about what meditation is, if we take what follows to be meditation, we're just as far ahead. Now, this doesn't, this won't preclude us from doing non-AA meditation. Nothing wrong with those practices. Um, but as uh, Bob D is very good on this. I think he introduced the idea. Anything else you do, you do it in addition to, not instead of. Uh, and uh, just a little aside, I don't know about you, but I can wake up in the most frightful state for no apparent reason. I go to bed perfectly normal, perfectly happy, perfectly cheerful. Everything is in order. And I wake up in the morning and it's as though it's as though the goblins have been in my mind and rearranged everything. And I wake up and everything is wrong. Now, the danger at this point is to say, right, whip out the candle, whip out the beanbag, light a joystick and think about myself for an hour. See if I can transcendental my, my, myself into a, a higher state of consciousness as though meditation is a sort of a slow form of LSD, that if I sit for long enough, I'll have some sort of psychedelic experience and see my personhood dissolving into the oneness of the universe. I've never made that work. 
when I wake up in the most frightful state, I treat myself like the idiot I am and do literally what it says in the book. As someone I quite like in, in AA, it says, uh, when things get bad enough, you'll be reduced to prayer and meditation. It's not some great spiritual height. It's the thing that you do when literally, there's literally nothing else. There's no point in talking to anyone. There's all, everyone else talks rubbish as well. You, 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 you just have to pray and meditate because there is no other option. There is no other way. Out. Um, now, I don't know if any of you cook. Very few people cook these days. They go to the, 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 they go to Waitrose or if they're on the other side of the planet, Coles. Um, and uh, you get your little microwave meal and you pop it in the microwave and, and you're just as far ahead of that. Uh, uh, if you actually cook, you'll discover when you go into your kitchen that you need to do some clearing up first, usually. Some other bugger has filled the, 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 uh, uh, the sink with dishes or someone's been in there and left the butter knife. You've got to clear things up, which is why step 11 starts as it were, with the evening exercise, the clearing up exercise. I can't cook anything in a messy kitchen. I can't hope to contact God with a messy mind. So the mind needs to be cleared first. And the way it gets cleared, and he, here's a, I don't want to be controversial, but I, this is going to be taken to be controversial. So here we go. Um. Many years ago, about ooh, 25 years ago, I thought I need to learn how to meditate. So I went to a meditation center and I learned some excellent practices, which I still use today. It's non-AA meditation, but excellent practices. Uh, very helpful with posture and pose and, and so on. Um, what we were enjoined to do was to take a word and repeat it. And whenever our mind wandered, to bring the mind back to the word and eventually you become very, very relaxed uh, and very good practice, very helpful. However, what the step 11 meditation asks me to do is the precise opposite. Rather than getting away from my thoughts, it's asking me to look directly at them and say, well, what are they actually saying? It, it's diametrically opposed. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? I've got to look the truth of what has been going on in my mind in the face. Not distract myself, not pretend it's not there, but find and face and disclose the facts. Uh, with this question, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? I actually did this this exercise. I, I tend to do this exercise in the morning rather than the evening because I, I'm just sh too shattered at night. If I do this exercise, this when we retire at night exercise later on in the day, I'll do it at the end of the working day uh, so that I can have a nice evening. I don't analyze when I'm writing down resentment, anything about resentment, selfishness, dishonesty or fear. I simply note that about which I was resentful, how I was selfish, a few words will do, how I was dishonest, a few words will do, what I'm afraid of, a few words will do. This is about simple disclosure. You, it, it's about taking the rucksack 
opening up the opening, holding it upside down and shaking it. And whatever comes out is whatever comes out. This whole exercise, this when we retire at night exercise, I don't think should take more than five minutes. Whatever you find in the first five minutes is sufficient to work on. Anything beyond that is self-absorption. It does not require analysis. This is a meditation, a directed thought in the presence of a higher power. Regarding writing, um, uh, if you find writing helps, do it. If you find it doesn't help, don't do it. The basic rule, do what helps, don't do what doesn't help. There have been times when writing makes things worse because it makes concrete. It makes too concrete uh, these phantoms in my mind. It treats the phantoms as real. And then I, I feel as I've got something to deal with. There are other times where forcing myself to articulate the problem, as I see it in words, uh, changes how I perceive it. The mere fact of getting it out of my head onto paper reduces its apparent size. So do what works. If, if, and if you find it helpful to send your Step 11 review written to someone, send it. If you stop finding it helpful, stop sending it. Uh, in big book circles, which, I mean, I'm a big book proponent, but I'm very cautious about big book circles in AA because um, they can be a little bit fanatical. Um, in my experience, and dogmatic as well, which doesn't help me. Uh, sometimes people bang on in big books like about the clear-cut directions, the clear-cut directions, and read the black bits on the page. My friend Alan from Tennessee, who takes very good photographs of hummingbirds, but that's irrelevant, um, he says that the instructions, he's been sober 40 years, I should think, um, he says the instructions are clear-cut to a point, but beyond that point, they leave you a great deal of discretion. Um, this passage, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day, gives you some directions, but, but is silent on whether or not uh, this is written down. It is silent on exactly what you write about resentment, selfishness and so on, or, or whether, whether it's simply... In what you think about these things if, if you do it in your mind. So it's precise in as far as it states things, but it doesn't cover everything. So it does leave the individual considerable scope for discretion. There's freedom there as well as direction. Um, uh, and I think the program uh, is in some ways akin to a school uh, uh, curriculum where there are certain lessons you go you go in at nine o'clock and you have double latin and under the uh teaching of your latin teacher you're, you're what you do during double latin for two hours is is very very closely pre prescribed you have to do what the latin teacher says then you have a little break and you you can go and run around in the playground you can't leave the school grounds you can't punch bobby in the face uh, you, you, there are lots of things you can't do, but within the scope of those, uh, you can run around, you can play, you can sit in the corner, you can read your book. And I think the program is like that. This there are bits which are completely um, uh, 
uh, prescribed. Uh, you just have to do what it says. Pay back the money is a good example. When you pay, face your creditors, there's no ambiguity. Come to the best terms you can. On awakening, we ask God to direct our thinking. There's no wiggle room. Other things, step three prayer, it says the wording is optional with with the exact manner of making amends. Uh, it says we wish to lay down no rule whatsoever. They're innumerable. They take innumerable forms. And I think the step 11, it, it's prescriptive to a certain extent, but it gives you freedom. So you have room to move around within these instructions. I do the black bits on the page, but the black bits on the page are not the full story. So those four questions, resentful, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Uh, two of those are about emotion, resentment, and uh, fear. The other two are about behavior. Do we owe an apology? That's very straightforward. And have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Or disclosed? Sometimes one need merely disclose something unpleasant one has done just get it off your conscience so that it's not a secret i find that very helpful and with these two questions do we owe an apology have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once if i sit in silence for about 15 seconds 20 seconds i know almost immediately if there is an answer to either of those two questions do i owe an apology so, I, let's do this now Ask yourself, do I owe an apology for anything over the last uh, day? I'm going to give us 10, 15 seconds. Either a name or a face popped into your mind or it didn't. Uh, maybe a name popped into your mind, uh, but you realised you've already apologised, or it's below the threshold. Maybe your mind was flooded with names. Who knows? That's all I'm asked to do here, is ask myself questions, pause, and see if an answer comes. Whatever answer comes is good enough. I don't need to dig. It's not about peeling layers of an onion. Uh, there's no depth here. I'm looking for things which are in plain view. There's enough to deal with in my life with the things which are in plain view without going looking for trouble. Were we kind and loving toward all? Again, not ambiguous. Uh, sometimes people say the big book needs to be updated because it's so impenetrably archaic. I don't think there's anything so impossibly old fashioned about the line will be kind and loving toward all, which will leave anyone in contemporary society scratching their head, wondering what on earth could be meant by the words kind and loving. I think that I think it's plain. The, 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 there are mentions of being boiled as an owl and Walter Hagen and whoopee parties, but those are peripheral. They're not they're not key elements to the programme. The important bits are, are perfectly, perfectly plain. Um, just as an aside, I suspect that anyone that doesn't work the program because they, they say it's too hard to understand 
phrases like that probably won't use the rewritten version either. Just a suspicion. Anyway, um, were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? With the what we could we have done better? That's a very good point. I, I think in most cases, unless you've got a very good memory, to write down things you can do better over the next 24 hours, either to make up for what you did badly or simply as a new valuable practice. Uh, I'm going to scoot to the end of this passage. It says, after making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. That question about what corrective me measures should be taken can be asked right from the beginning. So was I resentful? Yes, good. Well, what, what should I do instead? Well, forgive the, forgive the person. Um, ask God for a kindly and tolerant view. Go and do something for them. That's a very good way of removing resentment is just to act in someone's favour. So that thought, what corrective measures should I take, can be carried into each of those items. And uh, I think the output, if one is writing, the output of the Step 11 review falls into two categories. There are things, questions to disclose or matters to disclose to someone or simply to disclose to oneself by writing them down. Then there are things to take into the next day. AA, uh, attitudes and actions. What attitudes do I take into the next day? What actions do I take into the next day? And they needn't be fancy. Um, so what I wrote down this morning, uh, I mean, that this is embarrassing. You'd think after 30 years of doing this, there'd be something more sophisticated, but there isn't. What I wrote down in my corrective measures were let go absolutely, ask God to be helpful, listen and learn, humility, stay in my lane, don't feel guilty or frightened sticking to the spiritual path. There we go. Uh Never worry that what you're writing down in the corrective measures is the same as what you've written down for the last 30 days. Uh, every day you get up and you make your bed, uh, you probably make your bed in the same way. And hopefully it's the same bed that you're making every day. Uh, it doesn't. Step 11 doesn't have to be inventive to be valuable. It simply needs to set out what I'm to do. C.S. Lewis, who is helpful on all sorts of matters, uh, is very good on the question of the spiritual life generally, and in particular the relationship with God. And he talks about the fact that every day you begin, uh, you must begin again as though nothing has been achieved, as though nothing has been done. So in line with that, if, if a lay theologian as great as C.S. Lewis can find himself back at square one in the morning, for the likes of us, that's perfectly acceptable too. So if you have to write down every morning for the rest of your life, let go absolutely. Let that be the case. There's nothing wrong with being repetitive in the corrective measures. Because what the program is about is ideals towards which I'm willing to grow. I think that's from page 69 or 70. The ideal doesn't change. The If you imagine an orienteer or a scout, let's say the, the, the orienteer were 
orienting themselves towards the North Pole. They're trying to trek towards the North Pole. And they travel every day. Uh, sometimes they go a little too far to the east, sometimes a little too far to the west. Where are they heading for? Well, each morning, the uh, where they're heading for is still the North Pole. They're in a new position. How to get there might be slightly different, but the destination is the same. And it's the same thing here. The ideals towards which I'm willing to grow are the same ideals by and large every day. There might be some on a particular, apparently today in particular, I need to let go, which implies I'm probably holding on to something. Uh, there might be uh, a different mix. There might be a different focus. Um, so it's okay for this to be boring. I can't stress how important that is. There's a, there was a fashion, fortunately, the fashion, as is the case with most fashions, ultimately passed. But there was a fashion for years of people going around saying, oh, I need to have a new experience. I need to have a new experience with the steps and trying to, to come up with ever more elaborate ways of going through the big book in order to somehow induce a new experience as though you, you, you've worn out the drug and you need another drug to have an exciting day. Um, uh, and I don't, I don't find that necessary. Uh, it's okay for the program to stay the same every day. I might change, my, my life changes, my position changes, but the program can stay the same. Back to this paragraph. Um, were we thinking of ourselves most of the time, or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? Sometimes it's helpful to get your sponsees to do a written step 11, at least for two weeks. Just to see how they're answering the question, see if they've understood the question. Uh, almost no one in my experience, and I include myself in this, can read. In other words, can read what the words on the page actually say. I think it's almost without exception when I've seen sponsors, and I used to do it myself, in answering this question, or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? They write, people write down, and I used to do this, all of the things that I packed into the stream of life. Nice little gratitude list of all the things I achieved. The question is not asking that. Were we thinking of what we could pack into the stream of life? Was I thinking of what I could do for others? Was I thinking of myself? The questions are about my thought life, not my action. What was I dwelling on? Where was I living mentally? Completely different question. Uh, next line, very helpful. But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse or morbid reflection but that would diminish our usefulness to others. Uh, embarrassingly, I used to pay someone £120 an hour to drift into worry, remorse, and morbid reflection. It was a very, very expensive endeavour. Um, I don't bother uh, with anything very deep anymore. Uh, I stick to this very simple programme, this very simple paragraph. Uh, there's a limit to how much I can deal with on a daily basis. The problems which present to me in plain view with my conduct, with my thinking, 
are sufficient their sufficient difficulties of the day without looking for without looking for trouble and this is also for that reason this is why i'm very loath to spend more than 5 absolute maximum 10 minutes on any kind of daily review because after a certain point it, the law of diminishing returns kicks in the damage caused by the worry the remorse and the morbid reflection totally outweighs any benefit of engaging in the exercise and i i've known people that um do as it were a miniature step four every night uh and do columns and this affects my this and this affects my that uh i don't step the step the step 11 review has its own instructions I don't need to take the step four instructions and, and apply them daily. Um, what's next? What's next is on awakening. Uh, on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. That obviously means first thing in the morning. However, it, I find it can profitably be employed at any time of the day when I wake up and realize I've been stuck with my head up my own whatever. Uh, when I wake up and realize that there is a world out there that I need to be getting back involved, uh, I can, in other words, I can apply these on awakening instructions whenever I decide to return to the program having drifted. Now, you'll note that there have been a couple of prayers so far. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness. Well, that's a prayer. Uh, your, the basic types of prayer in AA seem to be petitionary, where I'm asking for something, or uh, a prayer of gratitude, uh, which is um, the thanking God for things. Uh, anything that's not overtly a prayer, I mistreat as, well, that's what they meant meditation to be. We consider, there we go, that's a meditation. We consider our plans for the day. So I'm not considering nothing. I'm not considering the clouds in the sky i'm not considering the sounds i'm listening to i'm not considering the candle i'm considering my plans for the day i'm considering the laundry i'm considering the tasks i have to do at work i'm considering the sponsee calls i need to return very concrete gets me back into reality it doesn't you see it's not trusting us with anything esoteric or mystical it it knows us it really does very clever book um all i need to concern myself with uh is my conduct of the day trusting god does not mean being a dope and a dunce and just sort of sitting there waiting for life to happen uh the steps are a joint effort between me and god the removal of character defects is a joint effort between me and God. Which bit is mine and which bit is God's? The bit that is mine to do, it's the actions that I can take. Everything else is God. Very, very simple. There's no mystery as to which bit is God's. If, if, if something is in my power to do, it is my job to do it. Uh, C.S. Lewis also talks about this, about... Uh, 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 the delegation of tasks to us by the higher power. Um, if an old person needs looking after, 
uh, and we're able to look after the old person. That's our job, not God's job. God may provide the direction and strength to do it and the resources to do it, but we're the ones that must take the action. Uh, what this means also, um, if you make the horrific mistake of going onto social media of any description, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or uh, Instagram, those platforms, and I'm sure others as well, are full of people telling you confidently with their hands going like that as they're explaining things, how to manage your life effectively. And if only you managed your life as effectively as, as they did, you'd be as successful and suave as they are with beautiful backdrops and pot plants. And, um, and it just makes me want to go and live in a field that I can't, I can't deal with it at all. Um, you don't worry about any of that. What the program promises is look after your tasks of the day and God will handle everything else. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't occasionally need to plan for the future or apply for a course or, or make some structural change. But what I trust is that if some structural change needs to be made, then... Uh, the instructions will come down from God, will come down the tubes in the form of things to do today. Write to this person, read that article, read that book, uh, talk to the interviewer, sign up for this, put the house on the market. There will come a point that there is a day when a practical instruction becomes the next right action. I do not need to sit constantly in a space of managing my own life as if I'm permanently in the boardroom. Um, a friend of mine started dating someone once and she uh, went on a date which lasted one hour. And she spent about seven hours a day for the next week thinking about whether or not this was the person she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. She had one hour of actual experience but 42 hours of pointless speculation. And by the time she met him a second time, she was shocked to discover on the second occasion, she was nothing, he was nothing like she had speculated him to be for those 42 hours of mindless speculation. She distorted the image of who he was, such that she didn't recognize him anymore when she met him for the second date. And that's what I am like with my life. I get so divorced from my actual life by thinking about it and construct these pictures of what I think is going. And the book and the book says, no, we consider our plans. The plan is literally the things I'm going to do and when I'm going to do. Them. It would be much more romantic and flattering to think that meditation is going to be about having going to Costa Rica and uh, finding a, a so-called qualified shaman. I heard someone use the phrase qualified shaman as if there's some sort of... Um, certifying authority for shamans whatever the plural of shaman is uh, and they were going to take some some psychedelic drugs and and microdosed of course so it's perfectly safe uh, what could possibly go what could possibly go wrong in the jungle in costa rica um it's all very romantic and very exciting and not at all like the drab wretched lives of those people around us that don't have a spiritual life 
oh, how different the actual program is. Consider, we consider our plans for the day and mine are literally going to include putting this laundry and folding it nicely first, doing another load of laundry, going taking my uh, mother for, for a push in her wheelchair and giving her an omelette. There's nothing fancy there, and that's sufficient. That's okay. It's okay for life to be ordinary. I don't need to make something exciting out of it. This is another problem with social media. It gives you the impression that unless you're unless you're constantly being parachuted into Petra or or, or doing other self wildly self improving things, you're missing a trick. And I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, it's okay to have ordinary plans. And to let that be sufficient. Um, next line. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. How do you do that? Very good question. You say, God, please direct my thinking. Please divorce it from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And then you stop. It's okay to pray a prayer once. You don't have to repeat it 47 times for it to work. Like God is hard of hearing. That, that if you, it, it's taking the attempt to manipulate human beings by repetition and treating God the same way. That if you, if, if only you repeat it enough, you'll twist God's arm and he'll relent and he will answer the prayer. Um, I need only do exactly what it says and do each thing once. Uh, how do I know that my thought life will be thus directed by God? Uh, well, you don't. This is the problem. Uh, what it talks about, uh, it says we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or decision. Which means that when God speaks to us, it will be in one of those three forms, inspiration and intuitive thought or decision. Now, unfortunately, uh, one could quibble about the word inspiration, but the ego uses exactly the same means. Uh, I remember when I was walking along the road on the 24th of July, 1993, I had the intuitive thought to go for a drink. So I did. It, and, and a decision to go for a drink. Just because you've had a, a, a thought which appears to be intuition or a decision doesn't mean it come from God. I know someone once that in the middle of a meeting, just in, it wasn't even their turn to share. They stood up and said, I've had a massive realisation and they left the room and we never saw them again. You know, that Maybe they were inspired, maybe they weren't, but we never saw them again. There were the police were called a few weeks later. Um, so we're faced with the difficulty. How do you know it comes from God? Um, Bob Olson, uh, who's a good speaker in Colorado, Englewood, I think, if you're looking for him on XA or similar, um, he would say that if you're asking God to direct your thinking, you just have to trust that what comes down the tubes is more likely to come from God than if you hadn't asked him to direct your thinking. Very simple. So you're improving the hit rate 
by simply asking God to direct your thinking. Uh, secondly, you can test what comes down the tubes uh, simply by looking at AA principles. Is it kind? Is it necessary? Does it reflect the principles of love and tolerance? Do I have a secret scheme? Is it selfish? Is it self-seeking? Is it fear motivated or is it prudence motivated? Uh, does it come in the form of some constructive activity or is it revenge or manipulation? Uh, almost everything that I have to do on a daily basis is something I've done 10,000 times before. So actually the instances of genuine ambiguity or uncertainty are very rare. Uh, what it, What is my plan for the day? Well, if it's Monday, go to work. If the inspiration is don't go to work, even though it's a work day, well, I might want to check that out because it runs against what I've done for the last, you know, 10,000 days. If something, if there is some genuine ambiguity or uncertainty, you test against the principles of the programme, you run it past a grown-up who is not emotionally involved in your situation, or you just wait. Um, I don't know if you ever have any bright ideas. I sometimes have bright ideas about how I'm going to change my life. Um, and sometimes I've pursued those bright ideas with, mis with grave misgivings, but I pursued them willfully. Uh, I went down an academic track at one point, and after six months, I, I put the kibosh on the whole thing. I was just getting physically ill. And if I'd been honest with myself, uh, I would have realized right from the start that it was an ego feeding proposition. But what I do now, uh, sometimes out of, I think, guilt induced by living in a modern society, which is constantly telling you to make something of yourself and to build a big life or something. Uh, sometimes I have these big ideas and what I do these days is I say well if it's a good idea now it'll be a good idea in a month's time or three months time and a month is not so very long and three months is not so very long and in every single case the idea has gone away and not come back if it really is God's will it will get louder and louder and louder in my experience so one doesn't need to jump on every passing train on the basis that if one doesn't, the train will be gone forever. Situations where those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities arise, well, they arise once-in-a-lifetime. That's why they're called once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. So no rashness on the basis of step 11. Um, what else does it say? We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. Um, sometimes I find myself, whilst doing step 11, panicked that I somehow have to solve my own distress. And this is where this line comes in. I don't need to fix myself. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. I simply need to make a list of things to do today, and then I shall get on and do them. Here's a top tip. If you wake up in the morning and you're very distressed and 
you feel as though your mind has been split into 47 different parts and they're, they're, one part is hanging off a chandelier, another one has been thrown out of the window and you're scrabbling around trying to recover all the different bits of your mind um, and you can't face anything at all. This is probably not a good time to do some sort of profound meditation. The top tip is this. Go and do five useful things. Go and make your bed, have a bath, have some breakfast, do the washing up, walk the dog. If you don't have a dog, find a dog to walk. Um, go, and do, do, go and do a little bit of shopping. Answer three emails. Just do some practical things. What I find, once I've done some practical things, I've reconnected with reality. And the rubbish in my head doesn't seem quite so uh, alarming, real, or urgent. And then I'm in a position when I can actually meditate. Um, what is helpful also if one is too agitated to really concentrate on one's own meditation and planning for the day. Uh, uh, poetry, music, something which connects me to higher thought is, is really very helpful. Um, what else have we got here? Um, we usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be that we'd be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. Uh, life as a general phenomenon cannot be controlled. My life cannot be controlled. There are so many factors which affect my conditions and my circumstances which are outside my control. Oswald Chambers is a very good spiritual writer you you have to be slightly braced to read him because he's stern you think i'm stern oswald chambers is stern and he's got a particular he does have a, a slightly gloomy view of the world but one of the, one of the things he says is that in a sense the more you think about things the worse it gets the more you see reality of the material world as it is, the more grounds there are for pessimism. Now, he was writing in 1917. I think that should maybe be borne in mind. But the flip side of that, according to Chambers, is that it makes you realise all the more the need to rely on God. The more one examines one's actual life and realizes how little is under one's control. I'm afraid that is a reality that must be faced. Mindless Pollyannaism won't work there. What it does force me to do is to recognize that the little that I can change is sufficient. I don't need to feel guilty that I cannot control the bigger picture. I don't need to feel inadequate. I don't need to listen to voices in the world that tell you you can take control of your destiny. Because what really matters is not my material conditions, but my spiritual condition. The big promise of the big book is not that I will get my own way, 
it's that I will live in a new and wonderful world, whatever my present circumstances. It doesn't say my present circumstances are going to be sensational. It says whatever my present circumstances. Earlier on, it says um, we don't get well if we put uh, reliance on others ahead of reliance on God. And it says job or no job, wife or no wife. Uh, I, for many years, measured the success of my life with reference to how well things were going in work, in relationships, at home, financially. Uh, and even by the so-called magnitude of my life, having a big life apparently was good and having a small life was very bad. I heard an AA speak once saying, uh, that when they got to AA, everything they owned was in two duffel bags. Um, as if to elicit the response from the audience. Oh, how dreadful for a life to come to such a position that everything you own is in two duffel bags. To me, that would be an objective today. If everything I owned were, could be contained in two duffel bags, the freedom of that would be extraordinary. Uh, the quality and the value of a person's life is not measured by its magnitude, whatever magnitude means, or how well things are going. Um, uh, if anyone knows anything about uh, Second World War history, uh, the first five or six days after Germany invaded Poland went very, very well for Germany. It did not mean they were doing the right thing. Uh, with reference to God on the belt buckles of the soldiers marching into Poland. So just because things are going well does not mean I'm doing the right thing or God is actually on my side. It, even if things are going wrong doesn't mean I'm not doing God's will. That I, I, The measure of my life is not what is going on materially. Now, uh, Another big book principle, which is very helpful, is that we're to have our heads in the clouds with God, but our feet firmly on earth, which is where our work is to be. So I'm not to dismiss the material world entirely. That is where the work. So I fill my day with constructive activity. But that is not the point. The point is to uh, grow in the likeness of God. Uh, which means to develop virtues of love and compassion and kindness um what this means the what this means where i why i got onto that was this line a prayer that would be shown all through the day what our next step is to be again this is not an instruction about sitting in the boardroom managing my life it is as though you're walking through the fog and You've got a rope and the rope has knots in the rope and you just move from knot to knot to knot. You can't see anything, but all you can feel is the rope and the next knot. And that's all I need to do to get through the day. I, uh, I don't know if this is my alcoholism or something else, but I'm a tiny little bit prone to gloom and despondency and despair and disappointment. Um and panic, and thinking, I can't get through the day. I can't even get through the next hour. That's 
that's where when I'm in a bad way, that's where my mind goes. This this gives me the antidote. I don't need to be able to see where I'm going. All I need to do is feel for the next right action and do that. And eventually the period of despondency or despair or disappointment or, or panic or flusteredness passes. So I don't have to do that forever. This is something that I must do only when I'm in a I'm in a bad way. Uh, but I something I need to concentrate on when I'm in a um, but my experience over the last 30 years is living that way, not as a strategist, but as a worker, on average, results in a life which is stable and perfectly satisfactory with everything pretty much in order, without me having to strategize any of it. So it runs against the common sense of the world. One of the reasons I think we have these meetings, just meetings in general, is because what we're offered here, as it says in Bill's story, is uncommon sense. It is the opposite of common sense. Um, just do the next right thing. Won't sell you any books. Um, there's almost nothing to say beyond these two pages. Uh, we ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no request for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others would be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. Uh, so this is, is very straightforward. If I'm to pray for anything, it is... Uh, this is why it says in step 11, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. I stick very closely to that and that keeps me out of trouble. I don't pray for specific outcomes. Uh, what else have we got? If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. I go to a meditation meeting for 20 minutes every morning. Very helpful. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also, if not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. Um, uh, I, I don't, I'm not currently a practitioner of any uh, of, uh, of a religion, but I have been. What I continue to make use of is uh prayer books, uh, particularly of the traditional sort, just because they tend to have more material in them. They haven't had uh, they haven't had the verbiage stripped out. They're nice and wordy. Now the reason this is helpful to me is sometimes uh, my own thoughts are distressing and compelling in equal measure. And I need to substitute something else into my mind i can't do anything with my own thinking i need to put something in its place and i think from out of necessity uh, resorting to a prayer book which has lengthy set prayers for different times of the day so if, if you're jewish you'll be familiar with with uh 
listen to a, an, an all of the prayers for the morning and the afternoon, the evening and night time and blessings and so on. Um, uh, if a person is Christian, there's the so-called divine office, where uh, in imitation of, of the monastic life, where you would have every three hours a set of prayers, you, you've got matins and lords and prime and and sexton known and vespers and compline lots and lots of prayers there are apps with that where you can down you can download the up to every day you go in and it'll have the prayers for each of the hours of the day you press a button you can listen to you can listen to the liturgy being read out um one of the great advantages of this is is first of all you realize that you're not the only person to struggle with your own mind this is, I suspect, one of the major reasons why religions have uh, set times for prayer and lots of lovely lengthy prayers for each of those set times. Uh, because anything is better than what you will think left your own devices. You know, one needs to be reminded of God seven times a day because you're going to forget about God seven times a day. Also, whether it's the Siddur or whether it's the Divine Office, you access these prayers, and as you're reading them, you think there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not more, of people around the world praying these prayers at exactly the same time, contemplating the same spiritual ideas at the same time that you are contemplating. I think that's very powerful. For those of us who are inclined to be a tiny bit uh, solipsistic and think we're the only <laughs> the only people that are feeling anything at all, uh, to re to connect in that way, very important. There are many helpful books also. Um, there are too many to mention, but uh, there are times when I have an appetite for and a digestive system capable of digesting large amounts of spiritual reading and listening. There are other times, you know, when you're trying to feed a baby and it's it won't have it, and yet you're trying to you take the spoon with the, the mashed food and the baby's going like that and it, the, the food ends up all over the face. I'm like that with spiritual reading sometimes. I try and read it, but it just won't go in. And I just end up with it smeared all over my face. Um, if I can't face it, it's fine. If the thought, if sometimes spiritual literature just makes me gag, I, I start to resist I these violent reactions. If that's the case, leave it, let it be. Just do a simple, thy will be done, thy will be done, thy will be done a thousand times, just to substitute that in the place of the rotten thinking. So there are times that I use spiritual books a lot there are times that I can't face it, and that's fine. These things operate in cycles. There are times when you, just like with natural cycles in, in, in nature, there, there are times when things are just dead. There are times when things are in full bloom. There are times when things uh, are growing. Um, sometimes all your leaves fall off. Uh, it's just the, it, that's just the season you're in. Uh, last point. Uh, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought to write. Actually, no, there's one bit before. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. 
Uh, I don't know about anyone else, but when I got into recovery, I was almost entirely ignorant about religion. But I had very strong opinions um, about what religions taught. And I'll give you one example. I once got very hot under the collar and decided to look up. I don't know if it was on the, the, the Vatican website or whether it was the, the, the British Catholic, Central Catholic website. This question of uh, what does the Catholic Church say God is? Because very often in AA meetings, people will say, I was taught that God was a man with a beard sitting on a cloud in the sky. And people claim that that was what they were taught. Um, you, you actually look up the question uh, on official websites and you'll see things like uh, God is neither male nor female. God has no physical form or physical location. God is spirit. Now, it's possible there was a rogue nun or a rogue priest or a rogue someone who did indeed say that God has a beard and has a physical form and is located, you know, between one and three miles up in the sky on an actual cumulocirrus cloud. This is possible. I don't deny the possibilities and none might have said that. I suspect that someone saw a picture of that in a book, weren't listening remotely to what was being said and concluded that that was the standard Catholic teaching. And of course, it's not. I've been very, as someone who is a militant atheist, very pleasantly su surprised to discover quite how humane a lot of the writings I would have once dismissed actually are. Uh, now, I don't have to swallow anything a particular religion says. I use the Catholic example just as an example because it's such a common one in AA. Um, at the Pacific Group, an AA group in California, they say, they don't say take what you like and leave the rest. What they say is take what you like and file the rest away for later consideration. So when re reading religious materials, that's what I do. If I can use it and it's compatible with the AA program, I use it. If it's if I can't use it, if it gets my back up, uh, if I start to argue with it, just put it on the shelf. Don't dismiss it because it doesn't need to be dismissed, but it can be set aside without being dismissed. That maintains an attitude of open-mindedness, uh, which I do well to adopt. Uh, last part, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. I'll be saying to ourselves many times each day that I will be done. And so this gives me uh, a method of troubleshooting in the middle of the day, uh, which really uh, supplements what is said on pages 84 and 85 about the same question. But look at the wording when agitated or doubtful. So that's when I, I'm upset by something and I've lost my poise or when I don't know what to do. Uh, there is literally no problem that arises in my life which does not fall into one of those two categories, emotional disturbance or confusion about what to do. Uh, if I have a so-called problem, once I'm at peace, 
it is no longer a problem or notion. If I know what to do, it's not a problem, it's a course of action. Uh, as a friend of mine says, there are, there, there are no such things as problems, there are only projects, there are only things to do. You do the things that you can do, and anything you can't do is not a problem, it's now a fact. Um, this instruction therefore covers every possible situation. Ask for the right thought or action, that's all I can do. Uh, and it's, it seems very inadequate because there's no guarantee that the thought that comes down from God will have a little tag on it saying this thought comes from God. But I just have to trust. This is where trust comes in. If I, if I practice this diligently, my hit rate improves. And that's why it says we claim spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. That's all I've got to say um, formally on the topic. Uh, Jason, I'm going to open it up for questions now. So feel free to raise your virtual hands to, and then I'll call on you. If you can keep the questions brief, that would be helpful. So have a little quiet think before posing it. Uh, you can pose questions in the chat. And if you don't want to be uh, recorded, uh, because this is all being recorded when posing your question, pop the question in the chat. That's the best way to do that. Uh, Anne, you've got a question. Hi, thanks, Tim. Um, you just said something really helpful. No problem, or it's a project. When you when you can't do something, it is not a problem. It is now. A, did you say is now a fact? And and did you mean you? I can go well. That's a pickle. It's outside my control. That's now a fact. Stop worrying about it. Is that exactly exactly? Exactly. So something is only my problem if it's on my plate to deal with. If it's on someone else's plate, it's not my problem, it's their problem. And it's simply a fact that I must accept. Thank you. Very so, simple. Beautiful and very helpful. Uh, Helene. Yeah, I'm Helene. I'm an alcoholic. That was great, Tim. Thank you. I learned loads. Just that point about, I can't remember exactly what you said, but the facts of my life, how my relationships are going or how my work might be going, how the external stuff is going. You said something like that's not always an indication of my spiritual condition, but I guess sometimes the bedevilments do creep in, don't they? And I guess that's where the reviews, I mean, do you think we can be blind? Sometimes my relationships are not going well because I've become a bit untreated again and the bedevilments have crept in. So does that make sense to you? Do you? Have any feedback on that? Yes, it's a it's a it's an interesting question. Just to deal with one of those, for instance, relationships. Rather than considering relationships, what I can consider is what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, and then on the other hand, how other people are responding to me. Just because other people are responding badly, as it were, finding what you are saying and doing difficult doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. Uh, the, the wrong thing, rather. Sometimes doing the right thing is going to produce negative response, apparently negative responses from other people. 
the nicest teachers at school were not the best teachers. There was a, a teacher, a German teacher at school, who uh, was his classes were very difficult to sit through. He was very challenging. And yet, um, year after year, um, of the top 10 people in the whole country in the A-level examinations in German, usually five or six of them were literally in that one class taught by him because he was the best German teacher in the country. But his classes were very difficult to sit through. So... If people uh, respond, if people respond to me very abrasively on a continuous basis, I, yes, I do need to look at something, but it's not an automatic. It's not an automatic conclusion. People are getting pissed off with me. I'm doing something wrong. People think I'm very nice. I'm doing something right. So if there are if people are reacting badly, that's a prompt for me to look at my behavior is it moral is it does it accord with custom am i being effective am i being efficient it it prompts me to ask certain questions not to simply see other people's reactions as a mirror because they're not a mirror they're something else uh, a couple of uh, related points uh one mustn't go to the other extreme as well uh, there's a disagreeable phenomenon in AA, uh, particularly in big book AA, um, with the passage on page 67, where it suggests that we pray for people and say, uh, well, actually, it's praying for ourselves. God save me from being angry. This is a sick person. How can I help them? I will be done. It's that this is a sick person. The phenomenon is this. I'll put it as though it's me doing it. I'll piss someone off royally. They will react to me. And rather than looking at what I did to elicit the reaction, I simply dismiss them as sick and smile down at them beatifically from my little spiritual cloud, saying, look at all these sick people reacting to me. What I should be saying is, why, why is this happening? Um, and I, I actually tried this on with my sponsor a few months ago without realizing it. And he said that this other person's reaction, that was their defense against my character defects. So um, I, I think the point here is to have a balance, uh, to not draw rash conclusions based on uh, about what the conduct of one's life based on the results one is getting, but not to dismiss the results either. There needs to be some balance there. I hope that goes somewhere to answering your question. Uh, Paolo. Uh, thank you so much, Tim, uh, for the workshop. I want to ask uh, like connection between step 10 and 11. Uh, so do you review also stuff that appears during the day and you uh, process with step 10 or, or you leave this out uh, in your daily review? Thanks. What I'm looking for at the end of the day is the so-called low-hanging fruit, the major things uh, which have arisen during the day. When I'm doing step 10, uh, let's say a, a real problem has arisen during the day, I will usually thrash it out with a friend on the phone or by WhatsApp or something. Uh, so, so I think step 10 does give 
great scope for discussing problems at depth or situations at depth. You need to get stuff off your chest sometimes. You simply need to say all the things that have happened and get someone else's input on them. When I get to step 11, it's a completely different exercise. It's me saying to God, these are, the, these are where I've fallen down today. There isn't any real discussion or analysis going on. It's simple disclosure. It's to leave me with a blank sheet of paper saying, God, you handle these things from here on in. Out of the step 11, sometimes there'll be a single topic where I say, right, I need to talk to Anthony tomorrow about this topic. So I make a little note, talk to Anthony about the situation with Susan. But I don't do that within the step 11. So I think they're quite different. I think they're quite different exercises. Uh, someone's asked in the chat, how do I know if I've made conscious contact? And it's not just higher self or ego. It's like I can't drop into my heart straight body and I'm stuck in my head. Um, I think the answer to that is you're looking at what output you should get from certainly the step 11 in the morning, the planning for the day. The output of that is a list of things to do today and a list of attitudes to adopt. And if one assesses those actions and attitudes against common sense, uh, against spiritual principles, and in extreme situations, running them past someone else to make sure, the answer is usually clear. I think it's that's actually a bit of a theoretical question. As I said earlier, with the uh, if if every day you go to work and God suddenly says. Uh, apparently, go into your boss's office, tend to your resignation and tell him what you think about him. Uh, if this is different than what has come down the tubes for the last, you know, uh, last five years, you might be a bit, little bit cautious about it. God's will is almost always a list of banal, ordinary ways of being helpful to other people. And so there's usually far less ambiguity than one might, one might fear. Um, Uh, Donna. Morning, if it's morning, wherever you are. Hi, Tim. Um, just a quick one about the thank you for what you shared, by the way. Very simple, and my brain likes simple. But you know, when you said you don't do the columns, um, like a step four column if you're resentful, how do I know when to do that? Because obviously, I've got a brain that will tell me it's not a resentment, it's fine, we'll just put that over there and do it another time. How do you sort of know when to do that then? Good question. I don't. If I'm doing <laughs> step four, I do columns. If I'm not, I don't. Um, very occasionally, um, there is a situation where I can't figure out. Uh, what is upsetting me? And let's just revise one of the basic principles of, of the step four resentment inventory. And it's this. I'm upset not because Susan has done this or that. I'm upset because Susan's action doesn't match my plan for how Susan should act. So what I do you, uh, I don't need to do it very formally with sort of sit down and scratch out columns on a piece of paper. I simply say, what is my plan? Uh, what do I want that I'm not getting? And then let go of it. It says on page 66, um, 
the more we fought to have our own way. The problem is insisting that I have my own way, which is why the instant answer is we constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. So rather than going through the rigmarole of an analyzing the resentment, if I'm upset, I'm upset. Um, one doesn't need to distinguish between sort of resentments proper and other forms of upset. Upset is upset. Either I'm at peace or I'm not at peace. If I'm not at peace, the answer is always the same. Thy will be done. And then there's a line on page 85, which is very helpful. Um, every day is a day when we, we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Thy will not mine be done. So uh, as soon as I say, right, I'm just going to let the world be as it is. I can let this person be as they are. I'm going to drop my demands that things be different. Now, what can I do that's constructive? So what I want to do is get out of the resentment space as quickly as possible into the constructive action space. And as soon as I'm taking the constructive action, I feel the poison of the resentment dripping away very, very quickly. Um, uh, so I'm very cautious about using step four exercises outside the scope of step four. I found a much lighter touch is more effective. Because it's not writing about a resentment that gets rid of it. It is the spiritual actions of dropping my demands, dropping, coming down off my high horse, my moralizing high horse, developing compassion for the other person and adopting help, a helpful attitude. It's really prayer and grace which gets me out of resentment. It's not self-analysis. Uh, let's see if there are another couple of uh, questions. I'm so... Oh, very good question. I like this one. I'm working step one, someone says, and four at the moment. Uh, do I think I should, straight can incorporate step 11 into my daily living? Right. So when the program was devised, uh, we think there are 12 steps. Uh, originally, there were six. And uh, Bill went to write them down. And when he wrote them down, he ended up with 12. Um. And the original six were in a slightly different order. Now, sometimes people say, as though we're all stupid, uh, the steps are in an order for a reason, uh, uh, as if we never come across the notion of a list. Um, however, if you want to bake a cake, And you go to the recipe book and you look at the ingredients and you write a list of the ingredients that you need that you don't already have in the cupboard. That list will be in an order. And you go to the supermarket and you buy the items on the list. But it's not that they don't have to be bought in that order as long as by the time you're going home you have all the ingredients in the bag you're absolutely fine just because things are written in a list does not automatically mean that is the order they're done in um with lots of recipes um you know do you prepare the salad dressing first or do you put together the salad ingredients first 
but it doesn't terribly matter. There are some things where it does matter. If you're making cakes, the order of certain things will matter. The order of other things doesn't matter. And I think it's like that with the programme. Uh, when the programme was first devised, the idea was that you would do the first, certainly eight steps. I think they conceded the making of, of amends may take some time, particularly if people are scattered all over the country. But the adoption of the programme, the writing of your first inventory, the, the confession of that inventory and the adoption of the new way of life, it really happened all at once in the first couple of weeks. So once people uh, signed up to the programme, they were whipped through the first three step, through few steps very, very quickly. And they were launched straight into doing steps 10, 11 and 12. They realised that unless... Um, there was, a, I think, a case which is described in Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, where um, this chap, he just couldn't get, he couldn't get sober. He kept relapsing. And they decided to start taking him on 12-step calls, getting him to carry the message, which he didn't even have properly himself, to other people. And he stopped relapsing. So... When I uh, take up the gauntlet, when I say, yes, I'm going to work the AA program, I'm saying two things. The first thing I'm saying is I'm going to run through steps one through nine. But I'm also going to adopt the AA program as a way of life. And that is steps 10, 11 and 12. Uh, steps one through nine will take a number of weeks or a number of months, preferably not a number of years, number of weeks or a number of months. Um, steps 10, 11, and 12 are a daily cycle. So they're in an order for a reason, but it's not the reason you think it might. Uh, even the first nine steps in uh, going to an AA meeting and then deciding at the end of it, I'm going to carry on going to these meetings and doing what these people say. You're already to some extent taking the first three steps. In turning up at work the next day, sober, you're starting to make step nine. So I, I think once you get away from the idea that you sort of complete each step perfectly before even thinking about the next one, there are all sorts of aspects of later steps that can be brought in straight away. And the, the last point on that, if someone 30 years sober or 40 years sober needs to ask God for their thinking to be directed, in order for them not to destroy themselves on the day in question. How much more so does a newcomer need to ask God for their thinking to be directed? So the question is more urgent for newcomers than for people who've been around a long time and are already in a groove of good, sensible action. So I would really, yes, just get going on step 11 uh, straight away. So I think that's, I think we're out of questions on step 11 per se. Um, so Jason, do you want to help us close out?